Welcome to the Terrorist Therapist Show on Renegade Talk Radio with your host, Dr. Carroll. Though you may not realize that the ongoing threat of terrorism is affecting your life and that of your loved ones. Each week, Dr. Carroll analyzes the hottest topics in terror and helps you and your family reach your dreams despite living in a time of terror. Women, power struggles, terrorism, and controversy. Welcome to the Terrorist Therapist Show. I'm Dr. Carol, a psychiatrist, and your terrorist therapist. Well, yes, that's an interesting uh, little combination, right? Or a big combination. Women, power struggles, terrorism, and controversy. Whatever do I mean? Well, for starters, you think that the elections in America are controversial, um, with all the things that have been going on. Of course, obviously, the controversy between the Democrats and the Republicans, but there is also sort of a, on a sub-level, there is also a um, controversy between uh, women getting into power, taking more women running in America for political office than ever. And that is sort of uh, going on on a, you know, underneath the mo more obvious uh, Republican-Democrat controversy and, and, and um, campaigns, um, uh, you know, <laughs> race. Well, if you think that that is um, dangerous, and yes, there, are, there has been an increasing, this is a, another issue, but there has been an increasing amount of actual um, physical assaults, physical conflicts, physical um, affronts, you know, it's becoming the, the, the battle between Republicans and Democrats is, is, is going beyond the polls. It's beyond the voter booth. It is really, as I'm sure you have been reading about, hearing about, um, it is in restaurants where people attack other people from the other party, um, just on the street, all over. But, uh, so it has gotten violent here too. But in Afghanistan, as you might imagine, it has become even more riskier and violent as an unprecedented number of women are running for office in Afghanistan as well. But in Afghanistan, there's even more violence, um, at least at this moment, than in America. But obviously, America is not going in the right direction in terms of how outrageous, how out, out of control um, the conflicts have been getting here too. But let me tell you about Afghanistan. This is a this is a positive story. Um, in, well, other than the violence and the danger, this is a positive story because of the number of women who are braving uh, the risk of violence to run in the parliamentary election that is October 20th. Now, you may be hearing this uh, podcast, this radio show after uh, October 20th, in which case you can either look up who won <laughs> or I will be talking about it in a future uh, show. So that's on, that's on the whole, that's a more positive um, uh, women seem to be winning the struggle to some extent uh, there in Afghanistan. But in London um, and in other countries where there are Marks and Spencer stores, 
that is a British multinational retailer that's headquartered in London. It's a store that sells clothes, uh, home goods, and luxury food. There is a whole controversy that uh, really is not so good for women. That's the opposite side of the story or of the struggle. Um, where there's a controversy over Marks and Spencer selling hijabs in their stores and online, uh, the head coverings worn by some Muslim women, and it is in its school uniform section. This is a new addition to the Marks and Spencer uh, catalog that is bringing quite a controversy. But let's first start with Afghanistan. So um, there's going to be or there, uh, it, this parliamentary election, October 20th. Uh, more women than ever are running for it, despite the fact that they face threats at the hands of Islamic extremists, especially jihadi groups like the Taliban and ISIS. I mean, you can, as you can well imagine, the Taliban and ISIS are not happy that women are having the nerve to run for parliament and more of them. Um, they are, it's, this is being seen as, a, seen as a test of democracy in Afghanistan. Uh, there are about 400 women running, teachers, doctors, activists, and their photos are uh, towering above the Kabul skyline. With some of the women, interestingly enough, some of the women who are running are wearing makeup and stylish clothes, and others have on the hijabs, these modest headscarves, obviously each attracting a different uh, voter, different kind of voter. And um, in 2009, the last legislative election, no women could be found to run for office in some conservative districts. Not not altogether, but in some of the more conservative districts, there were no women who would, who would risk running for office. Now, so far, um, the, there are several female candidates who have been threatened or attacked. Um, they, in Kabul, they've had more freedom to campaign, but in rural provinces, um, not only are, are there reports of low female voter registration there, but, um, you know, it, is, it has been harder for women to, to run and to campaign in these, um, in these rural provinces that are more conservative, more traditional. So women are not as accepted, in, even less accepted in political life there. Now, the Taliban and ISIS both oppose any public role for women in Afghan society. They have already attacked election rallies and offices. Um, they're not waiting till <laughs> they've already begun doing this as the campaign has been going on. And um, the Taliban and ISIS have been, you know, trying to not have this happen, not let women be elected. Um, it is an affront to them that women are even running, no less having their pictures uh, above the Kabul skyline, some in makeup and stylish clothes. But um, the Afghan and U.S. troops are trying to prevent ISIS and the Taliban from disrupting the voters even more. 
So um, they've already, however, jihadis have already killed scores of people, including 10 candidates and including a woman candidate amongst these fatalities. There have also been two candidates that have been abducted and four who were wounded in attacks. More than 30 have been killed in election-related violence over the past several weeks. And um, it's an election for 249 members of parliament. And that has been delayed for nearly three years because of all of the unrest in Afghanistan. Now, one of the people running is this woman named Diwa Niazi, who is 26 years old. And she um, said, quote, elections in my country are not just about victory or defeat. Uh, it is about launching a small scale war. I can get killed, injured, or abducted. And she's 26 years old, and she has a degree in computer science from India. And um, so she's a serious woman and risking her life, obviously caring enough to risk her life. Um, she lives in near the, on the Pakistan border uh, in, in Afghanistan. And this, of course, is the home of the, um, it's the Taliban and it's the home to the Taliban and ISIS's most uh, potent stronghold. So um, now the interesting thing is the Afghan constitution reserves 68 seats for women in parliament. This came about um, when the constitution was written after the rule of the Taliban was ended by the US backed Afghan forces in 2001. And um, at least 68 seats of the 250 seats in the lower house of parliament are reserved for women. Now, so, you know, it's kind of ironic that they have, they are supposed to have, um, you know, these seats are reserved for them, um, and yet it is so difficult for them to run. And I have been um, first describing how this is playing out in Afghanistan, where there are more women than ever running for parliament in an election that is to be held on October 20th, which, you know, you would think if you're a woman or even if you're a man, but not in the Taliban or ISIS, you would think that's a good thing, especially since there are 68 of the 250 seats in the lower house of parliament in Afghanistan that are reserved for women. But as you, uh, as I was talking about, in the last segment, uh, there has already been a lot of violence. People have been killed, abducted, um, and wounded in attacks over the elections over the past several weeks. And um, so each of the women who are running have literally taken their lives in their hands to do this. Now, <laughs> you know, how do you think that the 68 seats reserved for women um, compare to what's happening in the U.S. Congress? There, um, there are, in, in, currently in Afghanistan, 28% of seats in the lower house 
are, are held by women, which is eight points higher, eight percentage points higher than currently in the US Congress. So, you know, before this election, currently, there is already, um, it's already, women are already re better represented in Afghanistan than women in the US Congress. And they have to risk their life to do it. That gives one pause, right, to, um, I mean, as I was mentioning, you know, since it's becoming more violent in the U.S., the um, competition or, or controversy and all of the above um, between the parties, you know, it's getting more dangerous in a sense for, well, all candidates, not just women, to run here as well. But, um, you know, of course, the violence, it's, it's more out of control in countries like Afghanistan. Well, now let me tell, about, tell you about a, a different, quite an opposite kind of uh, power struggle involving women, um, or maybe one could say little girls, <laughs> um, in a different part of the world in, in regard to Marks and Spencer in London. Um, actually, their stores are all over the world, but, uh, and they're online. Um, they have just begun to sell hijabs. Now, hijabs are the face covering, head covering. Uh, it's a covering, not face, head covering. Uh, covers the hair of women. And um, it's in the school uniform section of their stores and of their uh, online presence. And their excuse for um, doing this is because they provide school uniforms amongst the things that they sell. And they are claiming that there are 250 schools um, who, you know, whose uniforms they make. And some of the schools um, have asked for hijabs. They requested that hijabs be included in this school uniform section. Well, <laughs> um, there are other companies, I am sure, that um, do or could make school uniforms. I don't think Marks and Spencer is the only maker of school uniforms. Perhaps it is in the UK, but um, there are lots of other countries in the, or companies in the world that would be happy to make school uniforms. And um, so, th in other words, they are not the only place that these schools could have gotten uh, their uniforms from. So that is not an excuse that for, for Marks and Spencer, that does not, uh, uh, you know, that, that, that doesn't hold any water. Um, they're just trying to, they're just trying to defend basically what they're doing to make money. I mean, that's why they're selling it. You know, it's not about um, Islam or terrorism or Muslims or it's about making money. These schools want them to make their school uniforms, and I guess they're afraid that if they don't do make all the clothes that the schools want, that they will go to some other manufacturer or retail store. So let me tell you about, um, about what's been happening there. Um, first of all, my opinion of all this is that, no, I think I, I was shocked when I first heard about this. Um, you know, as, as many of you know, I've lived in London and um, I was just there this past January 
because my book, Lions and Tigers and Terrorists, oh my, won an award, won the um, London Book Festival Award. And so, um, so I'm, I'm very familiar, you know, in a lot of different ways. I've had a lot of connections in addition to living there. Um, so I'm very familiar with, with British uh, culture and London in particular. And um, so when I, was, when I first heard and saw um, that, that uh, Marks and Spencer was doing this, it, I, I, I found it hard to believe because it's a very, it's a very traditional, well, it's a very, it's kind of a, it's like Macy's. I guess that's the best way I can um, describe it. It's, it's like, you know, Macy's is kind of Americana. Uh, Marks and Spencer is uh, London Canada or UK Canada. So that was quite a big step for them to do this. Um, and it did not get unnoticed. Um, you know, and when you think about how women in Iran are getting beaten up and arrested for daring to take off their hijabs um, and how the hijabs have been considered a, a symbol of women's oppression, then, you know, it's really, um, this is more than just a piece of clothes. It's, this isn't just a skirt or a blouse. And now you could say that, um, you know, the, the point of the hijab is that it's supposed to be help women to be modest. Um, but, but Marks and Spencer is selling it to their sizes. It's for little girls as young as three years old. And I'll get back to this and explain to you why that's a bad thing. But let me tell you what some of the reaction has been to the fact that they are uh, selling this. Uh, some customers have said they would not shop there until the hijabs are removed. They've been accused of profiting from the sexualization of young women. Now, I know you're thinking, well, how could it be a sexualization if it's supposed to be making them modest, covering their hair, and all of that? I'll get to that. Um, so some of the, the social media pages of Marks and Spencer have been flooded with angry messages about the hijabs. They're selling them, first of all, for six pounds, which is about $8 in the current um, currency um, equal uh, trades or the currency valuations. Uh, so it's about $8, which is really very inexpensive for a piece of clothing. Um, and, um, you know, it is for children, but still that seems... It seems almost like an inducement for people to buy them. Anyhow, um, so some of the angry, it's, it's in their schools, uh, school essentials section. So these many disgruntled customers are saying they're not going to use the store until the black headscarf is removed from stock. So some of the comments that they're getting are disgusting. How could you profit from something that promotes degradation to women and children? It's obscene. Uh, for a company struggling, and these are different quotes from different people uh, who were not happy. For a company struggling with profits, bad move. I and many others will boycott until it's removed. Unbelievable. Then this woman from Scotland said, um, why are you selling burkas for primary aged girls? Have you lost the plot? 
I love it. You know, have, have you lost the plot? Have you, have you, you know, have you lost your way? Have you lost the point of the story? You know, have you, have you lost, have you lost your head and, and uh, um, gone off the deep end basically is what it means. Another person said covering four year old is part of a disgusting sexualization of children perpetrated by the cult of Islam and has no place in the UK. I won't be shopping in your stores until you stop this. Can you please explain why you are selling a hijab for young children and helping the oppression of women from a young age? A quickly infiltrated terrorist country, and I'm talking about the UK, um, you know in some previous shows I've talked about some of the things that that have been happening in the UK. I, I, I talk about the UK a lot because one, I love it because as I was saying, I live there and um, I love so many things about it. I studied there at the clinic of Anna Freud um, and, and did research in the, um, in a psychiatric hospital there in Wadsley. And so um, I love the people, I love the culture. And so it really makes me very sad to see what has been happening with um, the Islam of, well, with the um, political correctness because of, um, you know, to try to, to, well, I mean, of course we want to combat Islamophobia, but the political correctness has gone way too far. And as I, as I was talking about in the last segment, the latest example of this is Marks and Spencer, the Macy's of London, um, selling hijabs in their stores. And um, I'll get into the whole, you know, it's, it's a very complex, you can't either just be for it or just be against it. Well, you can, but you have to consider a number of things um, when, you're, when you're making your um, opinion about it. But nonetheless, you know, whether you think that it's, um, whether you like it or not, whether you, you know, whether you think that this is a fine um, item of clothing or traditional and people should be allowed to wear it and all of that, uh, the idea, it's a different situation when the Macy's of London is selling it. Well, let me go back to um, some of the criticisms. A lot of people will now, let's see, did I, um, I want to make sure that I, that I covered some of the um, most interesting criticisms. Um, well, they're basically a lot of, they're saying a lot of the people who wrote on their social media, on Marks and Spencer's social media, are saying a lot of people will now boycott your stores. Why are you selling hijabs for infant, uh, infant and school-aged girls? Are you implying that their bodies are immodest and may inflame men? You need to take a good look at yourselves. Addressing the complaints on their, so then Marks and Spencer wrote back, their lame excuse, which I already mentioned, they wrote, quote, we provide bespoke uniforms for 250 schools across the country. They tell us which items they need as part of their school uniform list. And for a number of schools this year, they requested the option of the hijab. Now, again, that is rather lame. Um, now, there's a, there's a Muslim presenter, a Muslim host, on LBC radio in, in the UK, who um, said that uh, Marx and Spencer has 
reverted to medievalism by including a child-sized hijab in the schoolwear category. He's, he's quite um, inflamed by this whole thing. And um, he, he, there's a, a tweet, um, well, he said, these are stopped for little girls as young as three years old. Hijab is still imposed only on women by law in Iran and Saudi Arabia and many other countries. This is gender apartheid. Um, well, no, his point is hijab is still imposed only on women. In other words, um, only women are being made to dress in a certain way in um, Iran and, and Saudi Arabia and many other countries, and it's gender apartheid. Now, there's a, um, there was a tweet sent to Marks and Spencer that says, uh, Marks and Spencer facilitates medievalism by selling children's hijabs in the schoolwear category. It's their right to choose profit over values, but it's our right to shame them for doing so. Little girls are told it's immodest to show their hair, and blessed be the fruit, which um, as some of you will know comes from a popular TV show. Um, so now we know that uh, the practice of veiling some part of the head or face has a history in European, Asian, and African societies. And in it's in different, it can also, it has also appeared in various forms um, in Judaism, Christianity, and, and Islam. Um, but certainly I can speak for Judaism where it is, there is not the oppression um, or, and, and punishment for women not wearing certain items of clothing as there is in certain extremist Islamic countries. Um, now, the, the, the hijab is a symbol of modesty. It's a garment that Muslim women are supposed to wear when they're not in the company of their immediate family. It usually covers the hair, neck, and the top part of the chest. Um, it's, but but <laughs> uh, it is only obligatory for females once they reach puberty. That's something that most Islamic scholars agree on. It's only once they reach puberty because um, that would be the time that they would be considered or should be considered um, as being, um, you know, where modesty would be important. In other words, you don't usually think of three-year-old little girls as being too titillating for men. Um, then there are other two other kinds of Islamic veils, uh, the nokab or niqab that covers the whole face, leaving a gap for the eyes, and the burqa that leaves a mesh screen to see through only. Cover it covers the whole face and only leaves a mesh screen to see through. So um, you know, let's look at some of these different aspects of it. First of all, if the, the children in school, unless they're going to an all a school where all I mean, it is a school uniform. So if they're going to a school where all the little girls are uh, wearing hijabs, that's one thing. You know, then just like any kind of school uniform, it's it's the idea is to help kids not um, sort of not use their clothes to, um, to um, you know, try to one-up other kids. 
um, it, um, but if they're going to a school where, where other little girls aren't wearing hijabs, it would make them stand out, could let them in for teasing, um, and it wouldn't be a good thing, you know, because even though it's scold in the school uniform section, there could be other children who, um, who are wearing, uh, who, 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 who wear the hijab, who buy the hijab at Marks and Spencer and wear it, even though in their particular school, it isn't required as a school uniform. It's just making it more accessible to kids, basically. Um, so, you know, the idea, what it, by, by little children wearing this, it conveys the, it's telling men, basically, it's telling the world that children, as young as three, can be sexually um, available or, or should be considered as, as, um, as possible sexual partners. I mean, that is the conscious or unconscious message that comes across. And obviously, for pedophiles, <laughs> Um, that is not something that you would want to highlight. Um, it implies that, I mean, why would you need to wear something that makes you more modest if you weren't going to potentially, um, if you didn't need to be protected from male sexuality? So it's saying that kids, little girls as young as three, need to be protected from male sexuality. And that is uh, calling all pedophiles to um, to think in that way. So, I mean, they're already thinking that way, but it's encouraging them to think in that way. Now, if, if you know, the, these people who have been, who have been, who have been boycotting Marks and Spencer or writing these things on, the, on their website and so on, you know, they run the risk of being considered racist, Islamophobic. Why don't you want these things to be sold in Marks and Spencer? Why shouldn't we have uh, access to that in a main um, retail store? But so, you know, anytime that you want to um, speak out against these things, you run the risk of being considered racist, Islamophobic, prejudiced, um, and all of that. But, but I think that... Uh, now, I, you know, I don't know what the reaction would be if Macy's started selling hijabs. Um, I don't think that they have begun doing that yet. I think I would have heard of that, but I will look after this. And I think that there would be more of an outcry. But, you know, America is becoming so politically correct as well that... Um, uh, <laughs> I mean, so much is going on, so much that you would think would cause an outcry, an outcry is happening without people even barely noticing or without people daring to speak out. Well, thank you for listening to The Terrorist Therapist Show. I'm Dr. Carol, your terrorist therapist. If you would like to find out more about terrorism from me, your terrorist therapist, visit my website, terroristtherapist.com. And if you're a parent or teacher and want to build stronger nests for your kids to become more resilient, check out my new award-winning book, Lions and Tigers and Terrorists, Oh My, How to Protect Your Child in a Time of Terror. It's the first and only book about terrorism for kids. 
You can find it wherever books are sold or directly from the publisher at terrorismforkids.com. Terrorism, the number four, kids.com. I'm Dr. Carol, your terrorist therapist. Thank you for listening to The Terrorist Therapist Show on Renegade Talk Radio with your host, Dr. Carol. We hope listening to the show has made you feel calmer, more resilient, and more able to reach your dreams despite living in a time of terror. You can also check out past shows on Renegade Talk Archives for more insights.